Good morning. morning. Welcome to First Church this morning, and special welcome to those listening on the radio. I see we have our full music ensemble here, Sharon on the piano, and Kay's back here on the organ, and our choir here. So great to have everybody here for uh, leading our our music. Uh, We will be receiving new members next Sunday during the morning service. If you'd like to join the church or want more information, please see Pastor Joel. First Church will be having its first annual trunk or treat event in the parking lot on Thursday, October 26th from 6 to 7.30. If you're not handing out candy at your own home, we invite you to come here, fill your trunk with candy and park in our lot. Greet the kids in our community as they do their trick or treat and pass through. We have prizes for the best decorated vehicle. We will also have apple cider, cookies, and candy for the entire family. I've heard that Mr. Zane Schreer is planning to trick out the family Schreer van. So if you want to give him some competition or come see what he's doing or others doing, please come out and have some fun with, with them and the kids. Next Sunday is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's 95th 95 theses. We'll begin a new sermon series looking at the five major tenets of the Reformation and how they continue to impact our church and our faith. Today is the Ranger Athletic Booster Pork Chop Dinner. It starts at 11 at the Nunoxville American Legion and tickets are still available at the door. Today is also uh, the the Knoxville Historical Society open house from 1 to 4. Would you please rise with me and join me as we prepare, uh, prepare for worship this morning. Our preparation is taken from Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now let us sing hymn number 493, It Is Well.
And now we'll have children chat. As the children come forward, please extend a hand and a smile to those around you. Good morning. They're visiting out there, aren't they? Everybody's so happy. The sun's shining. You know, it's almost Halloween. Yeah. You know what people dress like at Halloween, don't you? Really scary, spooky things. Monsters. You're not going to be spooky? Good. No. Sometimes we think of dark things at Halloween. Don't you always think black? Black cats, witches, and and then you feel like you need a light, like my flashlight here, because everything's so dark outside. Oh, and go to haunted houses and stuff, and it's really, really scary. And some people really celebrate the darkness. But you know what? As God's children, we want to celebrate what? The light, don't we? Because who's the light of the world? Jesus is God's the light of the world. And we don't want to be as scared of the darkness, do we? And we don't want to worship the darkness, and we don't want to be afraid. So I found on the Internet the Ten Commandments of Halloween. Did you know there was such a thing as the Ten Commandments of Halloween? All right. Let's see what they say. Number one, we don't want people to be afraid of us. We want people to see the love of Jesus in us. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Two, we don't want people shudder at us. We want people to smile at us. We don't want to wear costumes that make people sick. You know, they got all kinds of gross stuff and slime and all that stuff on. We don't want to make, because Jesus came to heal the sick, didn't he? We don't want to focus on graves and cemeteries, do we? We want to think about Jesus when he rose from the grave on the third day. Number five. Some people have blood, pretend blood all over themselves. We don't want to do that, do we? But we want to be happy about the blood that Jesus shed for our sins. And what's the only ghost we should believe in? The Holy Ghost. Good one. We don't want to believe in those other pretend things, but the Holy Ghost is real. And the only screaming we want to do is from the rooftops, saying how much Jesus loves us and how we want to share that with our friends. Number eight is we don't want to act like bats, do we? We want to act like doves of peace. And we don't want to dress like devils because we want to be angels of love. And Halloween, we don't want to celebrate the darkness, do we? We want to celebrate the light. The light in the darkness. Jesus was the light of the world. We want people to know that there's something really special about us. We may be in our costumes, but we want to dress our hearts like Jesus. So when we go out on Halloween, let's see how many people you can make smile. Let's see how many compliments we can give other people. 
Let's see how many times we can shrug and not be afraid of the darkness because we know where the light comes from. And let's say thank you for all the candy people give us. And the next one's going to be really hard. You're going to have to really work at it. The next thing is to remember that our little brothers and little sisters might not have as much candy as we do. Yeah, I know. We should share. We should share, yes, and share our happiness. Benjamin got a lot of candy more than I last year. Did you last year? Well, you need to share if you get too And Mom and Dad like a little bit, too. Sometimes they need a little sweetening up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, I think most of you get too much. So that's being the light in the darkness, okay? So when you are out and you're celebrating Halloween, remember to celebrate the light and let us say a prayer. Our Father, help us to be lights in the dark every day, but especially on Halloween when so many are celebrating the darkness. Amen. And there's a treat on the front pew for you. Thank you, Carolyn. As we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, let's remember to continue to lift up uh, those in our church and our community who are uh, continuing to deal with illnesses or other situations. Um, just a reminder, there are names that are printed in your bulletin under um, on the last page under Life of the Church. And there are concerns that have been uh, some ongoing, some, some newer, some a little bit, uh, have been on there a little bit longer. But they're all things that we can continue to pray for, people that we can continue to lift up before the Lord um, as, as we are called to do. And so let's do that uh, together this morning, but I encourage you to continue to do that throughout the week as well. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to worship you. I pray that as as we look at the, the list of names and the different situations that are represented here, Lord, for us under this, this list of prayer needs, I pray that you would uh, just, just be in those situations, Lord. Whatever is needed, whatever um, comfort or healing or strength or provision is needed for each one of those, Lord, I pray that your spirit would work and that, and that through, uh, Lord, through your, your presence in their lives and through uh, loved ones and others, Lord, that come alongside them, that they would have exactly what it is that they need. Um, Lord, we, we trust and know that you are a, a compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and slow to anger. Um, and so we thank you, Lord, that, that even as we, as we come to you with our concerns and our needs, we know that it's, it's like a child coming to a loving parent. And so we pray, Lord, that, that you would uh, meet our needs as, as we know that you can. And we pray, Lord, that you would meet them according to your will and, and what is best for us, not not necessarily, Lord, um, as we would have it be. Um, Lord, we trust that you know what's best, and we trust that you know what is needed. In addition to these requests, Lord, we also continue to lift up our military and our country and, and all of the, the, the big events, Lord, that are, that are occurring in our world right now with natural disasters and violence. And, and Lord, we just pray for your peace to reign, um, your healing to take place, Lord, in our nation. Um, around uh, these cities and these areas uh, that have been affected by the natural disasters recently. And pray, Lord, that, that out of these terrible situations, Lord, you would, you would bring good and you would bring hope and you would bring light, Lord, um, and, and that people would be able to sense your presence and uh, be encouraged, Lord, and find the hope that they need in you. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As those who are helping with the offering come forward, I just want to remind you that our offering this morning goes to support the ministry of Wycliffe Bible Translations. And the choir will be blessing us with a rendition of Here I Am, Lord.
please be seated. Read along with the scripture reading in your bulletin or if you have your Bibles with you. The scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through you, your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Now we'll stand and sing hymn number 349, Trust and Obey.
Amen. You may be seated. Father, I pray as we open your word together now that you would continue to guide us and direct us through this study of Abraham's life and through our time of worship this morning. I pray what we do now is a continuation of, of what we've been doing already this morning, and that is worshiping you and praising you for, for your goodness and your faithfulness. I pray now that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this morning and open up my mouth and allow me to speak the word and the message you have for us today. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Chapter 22 of Genesis is one of those chapters that um, we're all familiar with, we're all aware of, uh, the, the, what a lot of people call the near sacrifice of Isaac or the binding of Isaac. And uh, it's a passage we're familiar with, but we're not always sure what to do with it. Does that make sense? Uh, we, we hear about it, it comes up in um, you know, Sunday school class, it's just one of those events from the Old Testament that, that we are aware of and we... We hear about it all the time, but but if you're anything like me, it's it's a struggle to try to try to wrap our mind around what's going on there and try to try to understand what is happening in this passage. Um, and so we're going to try to take some time this morning to to study it together and to to see where I believe God is is leading us um, with our with our journey through Abraham's life together. It's the last uh, sermon that we'll be, we'll be focusing on Abraham's life because it's really the last major event of Abraham's life. This is kind of the culmination and the pinnacle of this journey of faith that Abraham had been on since Genesis 12 when, Abraham, when God first called him to leave his home, leave his country, leave his family, and to go to the place that he would show him. And as part of that, that, that um, calling, as part of that, uh, that, that direction that God had put on his life, Abraham, or God, excuse me, God told Abraham um, that he would be a blessing, that, that he would be a blessing to many nations, and that through his offspring, through his descendants, all the, nation, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And, and as you know, it's, it was a long road for them, right? Isaac did not show up right away, right? It had been years and even decades since that promise was given before Isaac finally arrived on the scene. And so in Genesis chapter 21, we finally see the birth of Isaac, the, that promised son, the one that God said would, would um, carry on the promises and carry on the calling that God had given Abraham. He finally arrives on the scene in, in Genesis 21. And so Genesis 22 follows immediately on the heels of that, of that arrival. It's interesting that, you know, at this point in Abraham's life and all that he'd been through and all that had happened to him to finally get to the point where Isaac arrives, the son of, of him and Sarah, um, that promised child that God had been, had been promising him for years and years. You know, you'd think things were smooth sailing from that point on, right? You think, you know, and I can imagine in Abraham's mind, he'd think that he'd finally arrived. He'd finally gotten to the point where, he, okay, that son is here, right? I've, I've gone through all these trials. I've gone through all these difficulties. I've, I've made my fair, fair share of mistakes. But finally, I'm to that point that God had been promising all along. And from here on out, it's going to be good. Right? From here on out, it's going to be smooth sailing, and I'm not going to have to worry about it anymore. God had finally come through on his end of the deal. And so, so things were finally falling into place. I get the sense that Abraham felt like he had finally arrived. You know what I mean by that? You know, finally things had, had become what he expected them to be. And I think we all find ourselves in situations like that. Have you ever felt like you have arrived, right, when, when life finally begins to make sense for the first time in forever maybe? 
when everything seems to be uh, be in place. If any of you know what that's like, let me know. Because <laughs> we're, still, we're still going through that, right? I think of my own life and, and the journey that has brought me here, right? Uh, going, being in Ashland and going to seminary there. And, and through, that, through that time as a student, I got connected to a church as a part, in a part-time position. And, and then when I graduated, right, I got that call to be a full-time associate pastor there. And, and God was kind of stretching us and growing us a little bit. And, and after a little while, we kind of settled into that and, and things were getting comfortable. And then Josephine arrived, right? And that will rock your world having a child, right? And then we had, to, we had to figure that out, right? We had to figure out what it was to be parents and, and, and to balance the life that we had before Josephine arrived with the new addition to our family, right? And, and things started to settle down, and we had felt like we started to arrive. And then I moved here. <laughs> and then, we, then God had put a new calling on our life, and we, we moved here to New Knoxville, and I took on a, a brand-new position of, of being a lead pastor for the first time and, and trying to decipher what that meant for us and our family and, and we'd been here for, for some time, several months, and, and I'm not saying I arrived here yet, but things were starting to settle down and things were starting to begin a little bit of a normal uh, routine to our life. And then we found out baby number two is on the way. So things are, <laughs> things are changing up again. You know, I think God does that to us. He pushes us out of our comfort zone. He, he stretches us because we never really arrive. We think we do. We think we get to a point where it's just going to be smooth sailing, but... But over and over again, in my experience there over the last few years, and I'm sure you can relate in different ways, that we never fully arrive, right? We never get to that point where we can just like check the box and be done. Um, I, I firmly believe that if we're still drawing breath, if we're here, God has a purpose for us and God has a plan for our lives. And that may mean pushing, it, it, let me rephrase that. It's going to mean getting pushed out of our comfort zone. It's going to mean God is going to call us and, and challenge us to possibly do things that we have not done before, go places that we have not gone before, and possibly give up things that we hold on to dearly. You see, we get confused sometimes when we think of a normal life versus an ideal life. So studying for this passage, I came across this, this professor um, who was talking about uh, Genesis 22 and, and, and talking about this idea of, of being normal versus being ideal. This, pa- this professor lives outside of Chicago and, and he teaches in the city. And he said, if I have an, if according to his GPS, according to his phone, right, if he were to put in uh, the directions from his house to his work, it would take him a 17 minute drive without traffic. Now, if any of you have been to Chicago, you know a 17 minute drive is far from normal, right? That's ideal, but that is never going to happen because of traffic and because of unexpected delays. That 17-minute drive becomes a much longer drive than that. And so the ideal of a 17-minute commute would be nice, but it just doesn't happen. The normal drive is much longer than that. A normal drive takes a lot longer. And so when we look at our lives, we expect it and we want it to be ideal. We want it to run smoothly that we'll never experience hardship or difficult decisions, that all of our questions will be answered and we'll perfectly understand God because we fit Him into this nice, neat little box. Right? That's that ideal life that we, I think, deep down inside really want. Right? We, we, stri- we strive for that sort of life and that sort of outlook, but, but if we're honest with ourselves, that doesn't happen. Right? We don't get the, the 
opportunity. We don't get the privilege of living that ideal, nice, neat, prepackaged kind of life. Instead, a normal life is messy. It's full of disappointments and heartache. It's full of twists and turns and unexpected realities. And we won't have all of our questions answered. And we'll often be left in the dark wondering what in the world is going on. We won't completely understand God's motivation because His ways are greater than ours. And we can't comprehend what He's doing. That's normal. right? That's, that's the normal experience of life. And I'm, I'm sure you can attest to that in your own way, in your own individual experience, that life does not always work out the way you expect it to or the way that you want it to. And here Abraham is thinking everything is finally in position, finally where it's supposed to be. And then out of the blue, out of nowhere, God comes to him one more time and tests him. Just like Abraham, we don't, just like us, I should say, Abraham didn't live in an ideal world either. The normal world we live in is messy. And God doesn't promise an ideal world, at least not yet. But He promises that we will have hardship. But He also promises that He'll be with us in the midst of that mess. So God comes to Abraham one more time and He asks him to, to do the unthinkable, to give up that son who He had been waiting for for so long. As I was preparing for this, Sermon, I thought of a, a, a family that, that Allie and I know that are not from this area. Uh, it's a family we know from a previous life. Uh, and, and they had struggled a long time with fertility issues. A long time. And they just had this desire and this longing to have children. And I know that's a, a fairly common experience. Some of you have, may have been in that position as well. Uh, shortly after we moved here to New Knoxville, we got word that, um, excuse me, short, before we moved here to New Knoxville, we got word that over the course of their fertility treatments and all the stuff that was going on, that they were, that she was pregnant. And it was, you know, the most exciting news in the world because we had been praying for years that this would happen. And then shortly after we moved here, we got word that they lost the babies. Unexpected twists and turns. Hardship that we don't want anyone or anyone to have to experience for themselves. Um, and that was a heartache. They had, you know, it was, the pregnancy had gotten along far enough that they had made the announcement and so everybody knew and then they had to go back and let everybody know what had happened. Um, and so, you know, I share that with you because of the twists and turns and the heartache that, I mean, that, and that relates directly to Abraham and Sarah's story, right? They were struggling with fertility issues too for years and years and years and finally that son arrived. Um, and so I can imagine that like this couple that I know, they were, they were desperate and they were longing for this child. And once that child was finally there, then all of a sudden they were asked to give it up again. I can't imagine that. I can't put myself in that position. I can't imagine being struggling with that for so long and, and longing to have that child for so long. And then when the child finally comes, God asks you to give it up. Before we move on, I do want to share one more happy note that since we've moved here, that couple has announced that they are pregnant again with twins and everything is going well. And that is uh, definitely something to praise God for, <clears throat> excuse me, and something to continue to pray for as she goes along with her pregnancy. But um, just want to let you all know that there was a hopefully happy ending to that story as well. And Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, he says, not that I have already obtained all of this, talking about being united with Christ and, and giving up all things in order to follow him. He says, not that I've already obtained all of this 
I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I think that's the kind of mindset that that Abraham has here and the kind of mindset we need as we face the challenges of life. We realize that life isn't perfect and we have not arrived, right? We have not gotten to the point where we can just put it on autopilot and cruise from here on out. We're going to continue to struggle. We're going to continue to have hardship. God will probably continue to ask us to do hard things and difficult things. But instead of just throwing our hands up in the air and and saying forget about it, instead of just assuming that we've arrived and and kind of forgetting about about God and, and what He desires for us, we need to have the attitude like Paul and like Abraham to strive towards what is ahead realizing that we haven't arrived and that there's still many steps along this journey, but we need to continue to push forward, continue to go in the direction God has called us to go. So this is a story, I believe, not only about Abraham's faith and his commitment to the Lord, but it's also a story of God's provision as well in the midst of those earth-shattering difficulties. So Abraham's world is about to be rocked. This isn't an obstacle of his own making. Right? This wasn't a decision that Abraham made and he's suffering the consequences of. Right, This isn't something that is happening to him because of someone else's sinfulness or someone else's poor decisions. This is something that God himself is putting in front of him. It's an obstacle that God is putting in his way. And so God asked Abraham to sacrifice his own son Isaac, the son for whom he had waited decades. You see, Isaac represented the blessing and the promises of God. All those promises that God had made Abraham over the years were coming true and being fulfilled in the person of Isaac. Right? He represented all of that that had defined Abraham's life for so long. And so God is asking him, and in, in, in the sacrifice of Isaac, not only is he asking him to give up his son, but he's asking him to, to let go of those promises and those blessings. And I think that's the underlying question here. The bottom line question is, is Abraham and is his family more attached to the blessings and what they can get out of their relationship with God or are they attached to God himself? The true test for Abraham was whether, was, was, was the question for him was what is he willing to give up? You see, every other sacrifice, every other calling that God had, had placed on his life, Abraham stood to gain something from being obedient. Leave my family and my house and my land And in return, he will give you descendants that are more numerous than the stars and a land to call your home. I will bless you beyond measure so that you can be a blessing to other people. Right? See, Abraham's obedience up to this point always had something to gain, right? There was always something to, to earn from, from being obedient out of, all out of God's, God's faithfulness. But, but there was something for Abraham to get in return. But here it's different. God's promise doesn't include anything in return. In fact, in the sacrifice of Isaac, obedience here seems to forfeit all of those other blessings. It would be giving up his hold on all those promises that God had made. So you may ask yourself, why would God test Abraham in this way? Doesn't God already know what Abraham's going to do? See, in a test, it determines the true value of worth of what is being tested. God wants to experience Abraham's faith. Afterwards, he says, now I know that you fear God. Right? Any married person knows that their spouse loves them, right? But you want to experience that love through their actions and through their faithfulness and through their obedience. 
It's not enough just to know it in your head. You want to experience that love as well. I believe God is, has the same sort of attitude here. He knows what Abraham's going to do. He's God, of course he does. Right? He knows how Abraham's going to respond. But he wants to see Abraham's obedience in action. He wants to see Abraham's faith in action. And that's what he's calling him to do here. And so these tests, they reveal our true motivations for our relationship with God. The question we need to ask ourselves, just as Abraham asked himself, is are we in it for what God can do for us? Or are we in it for God Himself? To phrase it another way, are you willing to follow God even if there's nothing in it for you? Strip away all the blessings, even the promise of heaven itself. Would you still be willing to follow Jesus? If following Him only mattered for this life and there was nothing else after this, would you still be here this morning? It's a hard question. Are we in it just for some sort of get out of jail free card? Some sort of fire insurance so that, so that after this life we have nothing to fear? Or are we in it because we truly love God and fear God and want to have that relationship with Him? Are we in it for the blessings? Or are we in it for God Himself? Think of the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. He comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts listing off the usual commandments, right? And he says, look, I've done all of those things since, since childhood. And Jesus says, there's one more thing. Sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and follow me. And what does he do? The rich young ruler turns away sad because he had great wealth. You see, he was more connected to his possessions. He was more connected to the blessings than he was to actually following the Lord. Now, it doesn't exactly say what he does. He went away sad, but he may have followed through with it. We don't know for sure, right? But the, the point is that, that we often become so attached to the things of this life, we become so attached to the blessings that we forget about the one who blessed us in the first place. So what are you willing to give up to follow God? Or maybe I should phrase that, what are you unwilling to give up in order to follow God? When we talk about giving stuff up for God, we often think of the bad, sinful behavior that is incompatible with following Christ. But God also asks us to give up the good stuff in our life in order to trust Him more. As I mentioned before, testing pushes us out of our comfort zone, forcing us to rely on Him even more. And there may be good stuff in our lives that we rely on instead of God. We look to those things for strength. We look to those things for security instead of looking to, the, to God to satisfy those desires. And the Bible has a word for that, right? It's called idolatry. And idolatry is just putting anything, a person, a place, a thing, even yourself in the place that only God deserves. Giving it the honor and the attention and the trust that, that we should be placing in God instead. And so, ask yourself, what would be the hardest thing for you to give up right now? What is the one thing in this world that you could not live without? If you're not careful, that thing can become your idol. If you're not careful, that thing can take the place of God in your life. Now, I'm not saying that God is going to ask you to give that thing up. I'm not Him. I can't, I can't tell you that. But God may do that. God may be asking you to loosen your grip on, on whatever that thing is in order to tighten your grip on the Lord. 
in order to hold on to Him more closely and hold on to Him more dearly. See, that's what Abraham does here. He's the example that we can follow. We get Abraham's response. First of all, he responds quickly, but he's in it for the long haul. Notice he doesn't dilly-daddle here, right? He hears this command from the Lord, and it says, early the next morning, Abraham gets up and he settles his donkey and he heads out. He didn't waste any time. He didn't hesitate. He just he responded quickly to what God asked him to do. But he was in it for the long haul, too. Notice the journey. You know, he didn't arrive that morning. It took him three days. Imagine the awkwardness of that journey, right? Imagine what it would be like to be walking three days side by side with your son, knowing all along what, what God had asked you to do. He had plenty of time to turn back, right? He had plenty of time to give up. He had plenty of time to think it through over and over and over again and decide whether or not it was worth it. But yet he continued on. He responded quickly, but he was also in it for the long haul. We often do the opposite, don't we? We're afraid to commit to something. We hesitate. We put it off. We're unwilling to respond to God's call, and we come up with a million excuses. It may be as obvious as day to us, but yet we hesitate. We're, we're afraid to, to commit. And then when we do commit, we don't stick with it. You know, we are gone at the first sign of trouble. The moment following Christ becomes hard, we turn around and head home. The moment that God asks us to give up something or we feel convicted to change our behavior, we just go back to the way things used to be. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I love that phrase, living sacrifices. You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? It keeps trying to crawl off the altar. Right? It keeps trying to get away. And so we need to continue to just make that decision to stay there, to, to sacrifice those things God asks us to sacrifice, to fully put our trust in Him, trusting that He will provide in the end. But it's a constant battle. It's a constant struggle. So Abraham responded quickly. He was in it for the long haul. And he also trusted God's promises, even when it didn't make sense. In Genesis 21, verse 12, after Isaac's birth, um, the Lord says that it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So Abraham trusted that God would not fail to fulfill his promise. He knew that because God is faithful, Isaac would be returned to him somehow. You see, that's the trick here. right? That's the, that's the sticking point. God had made this promise to Abraham that it was through Isaac his offspring would be reckoned. It was through Isaac that the blessings would continue to happen. And so when God comes around and asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham had that knowledge and that promise in the back of his head. And so he didn't know how it would all work out. He didn't know what was going to happen, but yet at the same time he knew that he could trust that God would not fail to fulfill that promise he had made. God would not come up short on that. And so um, Hebrew, you know, you see that in, in, in the way that Abraham handles the situation. He tells the servants, stay here. We will return after we worship. Not I, but we will return. When Isaac finally begins to, to understand what's happening here, he says that God will provide the sacrifice. Now, I don't think that Abraham is just sugarcoating what's happening here. I think Abraham truly believed that the two of them would return somehow. I think Abraham truly believed that God would provide a sacrifice in place of Isaac. That's because he understood that God's word does not return to him void. That when God promises something, when he, when he makes it known, he will follow through because God is faithful. 
We look at this passage as a understanding of God's faith, or excuse me, as an understanding of Abraham's faithfulness. But even more so, it's an understanding of God's faithfulness. That even despite all odds, despite what seems to be impossible, God followed through. And God came through on his word. That's what we see here. The test was simply to see whether or not Abraham understood that. Whether or not Abraham trusted that God would provide and God would make a way where there seemed to be no other way. See, at the last moment, God stayed Abraham's hand. Abraham was willing to give up everything, his long-awaited son, and even the blessings that God had promised him throughout his lifetime. In that moment, God provided a substitution, a ram caught in the thicket, and Abraham and Isaac offered it to the Lord. In response to Abraham's faithful obedience, God renews and strengthens the covenant he made with Abraham. See, it's all possible, all was possible because of God's faithfulness and Abraham's trust and belief in that. And so we can look to Abraham as our example of what it means to faithfully obey and respond to God's word. But there's another parallel here that, that we would be remiss to ignore, and it's the day that God did not stay his hand. See, in Genesis 22, it has significant parallels to the death of Jesus on the cross. Just as Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice, Jesus carried the cross up Calvary's hill. Jesus, the Son of God, willingly submitted to the will of of his Father, just as Isaac, a young man, strong enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice, clearly could have escaped his elderly father. Yet he willingly allowed himself to be bound and placed on the altar. Jesus could have saved himself, and yet he willingly allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. But there's a major difference. When Jesus was upon the cross, there was no voice from heaven to stay the hand. When Jesus was on the cross, there was no ram in the thicket to be the substitution. You see, Jesus was the ram. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There was no voice from heaven that day when Jesus was on the cross because the only voice was from Jesus himself saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then finally, it is finished. In that moment, the impossible happened. The holy, just, and perfect God of the universe made a way for imperfect, sinful, broken people to be in a relationship with him once again. He overcame and completely removed the barrier between him and his creation. Sin was defeated once and for all. Through Jesus, God accomplished for us what we could never do for ourselves. He overcame sin and restored our relationship with him. In closing, I just want to refer back to the rich young ruler once more. After he goes away sad... In verse 24, Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible for man is possible with God. That day on the cross, the impossible happened. In return, God asked for our faithful response. Like Abraham, we must respond and trust the impossible, that through Jesus, he has made a way for us to be in relationship with him again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that, that you have made a way for us. And I pray that as, as we hear and as we understand this, Lord, you would help us to respond faithfully to you and to what you've done for us for your son, Jesus. You provided the sacrifice. You provided the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. In closing...
Let's sing the first verse of our closing hymn, I Surrender All, number 366. may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.